Wow, there are a lot of you. That was so kind of you guys to come. Thank you so much. I have already been crying like three times this morning, so welcome to Emotionally Unstable Maggie Zone. <laughs> um, if you guys are in an awkward position, please feel free to move your chair around. We want you to be comfortable. If you have to go to the bathroom like three times because you have a baby in your belly, don't just go. Just go to the bathroom. If you need a drink, there's drinks back there. Um, we just want you guys to feel relaxed and at home. This is not proper. I happen to wear nice clothes today because they told me I have to have pants on when I go in public and um, I need to look nice. So, But that doesn't mean we're professionals, okay? So we just want to relax. And um, I'm just going to tell you my story. And I'm a little ADD, so I might get up and down. And hopefully I won't fall off this thing. But... Um, so, uh, I named this talk um, a very long name. It's the line of a poem, actually, by a lady named Mary Oliver. And the name of the poem is, um, I don't know the name of the poem, but here's the line. Uh, it says, she says, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And I remember the first time I ever read that line, um, I sort of stopped in my tracks a little bit, and I literally, I felt like God was leaning down into me and kind of whispering into me, Maggie, uh, you only get one wild life, earthly life, and it is very precious. What are you going to do with it? And at the time, I was living in a lot of fear, and um, and so I felt like God was like, you want to go on an adventure? <laughs> You want to climb out of this, this stuff. And so um, this is what I really love about humanity, okay? So every person, except for Adam and Eve, they weren't born like we were born. But every other person ever walked, whoever even began in this world, we all began the same way. So uh, we all began in, a mo in our mama's tummy, like a little seed planted there. And it doesn't really matter if your mom uh, was a drug addict or an alcoholic or a prostitute like my birth mama was. It doesn't really matter, actually, if your mom was a believer or if she was an atheist, if your dad, um, who your dad was, what he did. We all begin, we all begin the exact same way, like a little seed planted in our mama's tummy. And... Um, the scriptures, I love how the scriptures help us make sense of our stories. So I told you guys um, a little bit of my story, but since not everybody was there, um, I'm going to tell you again. So I was, I began in this world to two really broken people. So my birth parents were both addicts, and, um, and so me and my little brother, we were running. We didn't have any choice. But we were running for the police all the time. Uh, I remember lots of times being in a back room, and my mom would come in and say, uh, the police are here, so don't come out. And you stay back here, you watch cartoons. And that was literally, that was a normal day. We're like, okay, we'll stay back here. And But then sometimes the police found us, and that was also normal. We ha we loved the police. They were our friends. And uh, we, me and my brother were like, yay, the police are here, because we got to ride in their car, which we thought was pretty cool. But um, 
so my first uh, my first childhood memories uh, were getting dropped off at foster homes a lot. We're getting taken to the police station a lot. And I remember even my mom dropping me off at literal strangers' houses. And I can remember um, this one time I was at some stranger's house for a little while. And they didn't, apparently they didn't know what to do with me anymore because my mom said she was coming back and apparently she didn't come back. So they take me to another stranger's house. And I was sitting in the back of the car, like listening to this conversation. And they're like, uh, so her mom said she was coming. She didn't come back. We can't take care of these kids anymore. Can you take care of these kids now? And I'm like looking like, I hope these people are nice. And so um, as you can imagine, that was a pretty wrecky beginning. Um, I remember one time my mom banging on this door. And this guy opens the door and she pushes herself in. And she says, I got to use her phone. I got to use her phone. And he's like, what kind of psycho lady is this? But she had me with her, and so he lets her in, and she, I think she uses the phone, or maybe she used that as an excuse. I can't remember, because I'm like three, four, and five years old. And um, she says, I can't, I can't keep my girl anymore. Can you just, can she stay at your house? And I remember this guy going, no, like, I don't even know you. You can't leave your kid at my house. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't keep her. And so, um, again, in and out of foster homes a lot. Social workers are my heroes. Um, therapists are my heroes, okay? So <coughs> I was, um, the good news is I'm here, right? I'm smiling, fairly emotionally stable, except for today. Um, <laughs> and um, so the good news is, this is in Arkansas. I told you guys, basically, I'm a hillbilly at my roots, I remember an outhouse and um, uh, fishing in the ditch for crawdads. I don't know if you know how to do that, but what you do is you get a stick and a string, and you tie a piece of bacon on the end, and you take your string, and you put it in the bottom of the crawdad hole, and he latches onto the bacon, and you pull it up, and you got yourself a crawdad. So that's pretty fun. You should try it if you ever go to <laughs> Arkansas or Louisiana, maybe. Um, so... But in a different part of Arkansas, another little town, just a few towns over, there was another super ordinary family. And um, this is the cool part. There was the wife. She was super spiritual, like very loudly spiritual, like Bible thumping, uh, beat you over the head with her Bible kind of spiritual. And the dad was just a really quiet, hardworking guy, but again, has Jesus in his chest. And so this dad goes to work every day at a mechanic shop because he owns a tire store, and he's a mechanic. And uh, they already have two kids and a dog, so they're good. That's the American dream, right? And um, so he's going to work, and, and he is slowly learning to talk to God while he's at work. And one day God starts talking back, and God says, just taps on his chest, and says, you know, I know that you think you're done having kids, but you're not. I actually have some more kids for you. And really obvious. That's a very obvious thing. It wasn't like my dad had to wonder. Uh, it was really clear. So he comes home from work. And he, I told you he was my dad, so you know how, where the story is going. But he comes home from work, and my mom tells me the story later. She says, honey, I thought your dad was going to do one of two things. I thought he's either going to divorce me or we're going to move to China. 
like, and be missionaries. She was like, whatever it was, the look on his face, he was so distraught. I thought, this it's either over or it's over, you know? And so, uh, but what he says is, um, you know, I really think God has more kids for us. Now, my dad had already had the surgery, okay? He was done, done. So they weren't having any more of those kind of kids. And, um, and so my mom and dad, they start praying, and uh, they, we grew up in the Bible Belt, Arkansas. And back then, we didn't have Facebook yet. So they, you know, they had these things called prayer chains. Do you know what prayer chains are? Okay, it's really kind of more like a gossip chain. If you're like Baptists, you just say you're praying for them, but you call your friends, and you won't believe this. But we need to pray, but, you know. So, uh, but they had a prayer chain. It was legit. They called their friends, and they said, we really feel like God has kids for us, and um, would you guys start praying that God will show us what kids. So they got involved in social services. They jumped through all the hoops, do all the things you have to do in order to be a parent of foster kids. And, um, and they walk into the office, and this is what they did back then. I don't know what they do now, but um, back then they had picture albums full of kids, like albums and albums. And um, they give you a picture album, and you're supposed to pick out the ones you think look nice. And then you hope they are nice, you know. They don't have too much junk. And um, so my mom and dad thought that was a pretty impossible task. Like, how in the world are you supposed to know which kids are for you? So... They knew that God is a God of impossibles. And they knew that they could pray really big, crazy prayers to God. Because he they'd been reading the Bible. You know, he does really crazy big things. So this is what they prayed. And uh, it was kind of, honestly, it was an insane prayer. But they said, so God, uh, would you let us recognize whatever kids you have for us? Like, I just we just asked that somehow, miracle of miracles... When we see our kids, it will be as if we have always known them. And they prayed that, and they asked their friends to pray that. And one day, my mom walks into the social worker's office, and there's a picture on the desk. It's it's actually me and my little brother. And uh, she sees that picture, and her heart leaps inside her chest. Tears pop into her eyes, and she says, that's them. That's my kids. And the social worker says, no, they're actually getting adopted by another family. That's why their paperwork is out. They're not even available. Here, have another picture album. Now, remember, I told you my mama was spiritual, okay? Bible thumping, spiritual. So she doesn't take no. If God tells her something, like, no, we're going to go with what God said. And so she's like, no, that is my kids. I have been praying that I would recognize them, and I know those kids. Those are my kids. And I'm sure the lady had already gotten to know my mom a little bit. Probably she passed all the tests, so she has to let her be a foster parent. Uh, but she says, um, lady, like, you can't, you can't take these kids. Like, they don't, they're not available. And I don't know how my mom did it, but she wore her down. And um, she got that picture out of her office. And she said, would you, okay, what, just let me take that picture home and show it to my husband. I just, just let me see if he has the same reaction that I do. So the lady lets her take it home, psycho lady, and she, mom takes it home. She puts it on the um, sink in the bathroom where my dad comes home from work every day. He empties out his pockets, his change, and his keys. And this is another miracle of miracles. Mom, mom doesn't say a word. And uh, she just watches my dad. And he comes in the bathroom, and he empties out his pockets, and 
he sees the picture on the counter, the same exact thing happens to him. His heart beats inside his chest, tears pop out in his eyes, and he says the same thing, that's them, oh my God, that's our kids. And my mom's like, I know, I tried to tell her that, but she says they're not available. And so they call their, pre- their people, and they say, we found them. Hey, we found our kids, but they say they're not available, but we found them. So would you guys pray with us that they could come home? And so one day, uh, the social worker calls my mom, and she says, Maria, you are not going to believe this. And then she's like, no, okay, never mind. You are going to believe this. But she said really bad things were happening in that foster home, and someone reported it. They said to us, do not tell this family who told you what's happening or like she feared for her life but she said those kids are in danger and they're not those people aren't allowed to adopt them would you would you like to have those kids and my mom's like yeah there are they are my kids you know and so that is the story um, of how me and my little brother I was seven and my little brother was five and that's the story of how we came home how we were rescued And um, so I just want to pause and just thank Jesus for really ordinary people who have a really big God inside their chest and who just ask God, what do you what do you want to do with my life? And I don't like that idea that you just mentioned, but what do you want to do? And who just quietly listen and just quietly make little steps of obedience And um, now you think, okay, I got adopted. Yay, the rest is bliss. Well, we know that people who adopt kids, those people are messed up too. Did you know that? Did you know Christians can be messed up too? Um, So just because we were adopted uh, does not mean we had a happy life. Now we had Jesus, okay? Now we knew who Jesus was. And Jesus is this glue that keeps really broken people together. And so that's what Jesus did for us. And my mom, she was, uh, her, her childhood was incredibly dysfunctional. Her dad was terribly angry and abusive. So my mom had a lot of this stuff. And so it was really hard for us growing up. But you know what? My mom had Jesus, and by golly, she was going to get us to Jesus. And she did. When I was seven years old, when I, the same year I was adopted, I'm, we're driving down this dirt road to our house, and my mom starts telling me that there's a God who made the whole world, and he made me. And there's a Jesus who's the Savior of the whole world, and she tells me the gospel story, and we're driving down the dirt road, and I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I, that makes sense. And in that, in that moment, I just simply childlike faith believe. I begin to believe in this God. And I begin to believe in this Jesus. And the same year, seven is very special to me because the same year I was adopted physically into a new family, I was adopted into a kingdom And my mom, she taught me how to read my Bible. She said, so,
She said, there's this book, and God wrote it. He used a lot of, like, messed up people, but he got it together. And if you want to know who God is, what you do is you sit down a little bit every day because God's really important. Remember how he made everything? So he's, like, the most important person. And if you want to know him, you sit down and you just you open this book. It's full of stories, and you, you say to God, oh, who are you? What are you like? And then you start reading, and he will tell you who he is, not just through the words, but through his spirit, because God's alive and well, and he's real, and he's here with us. So I'm like little, going to school. I, we had to get on, we lived out in the country, remember? We were down a dirt road, and... um. So we had to get up at like 6.30 in the morning to get on the school bus. It took us like half an hour just to get to school. And, um, and my mom's like, remember, God's the most important person, so you, can, you should read your Bible in the morning. No, now my mom probably would say something different, like, it's fine, just read your Bible, you know. <laughs> but back then, it's like, you read the Bible in the morning. That's, you put them first. And, um, and so I'd sit on my bed, it, like f- literally falling asleep with my little pink Bible that my granny Bonnie gave me that had pictures in it, little children's version, so I could actually understand what in the world it was saying. And I started in the Old Testament, and I would read, and I was like, whoa, God is so big. God does crazy things. God uses people. Like, these people are kind of like me. Like, they run away from him. They get mad. They do really stupid things. God just keeps chasing after him, and it's like it's like God has a plan for like the whole world, and He's been working on it since the beginning. And I began to get to know this God, and the funny thing is, I would fall asleep because I was tired. I was like going to school, and my mom would come in, and she <laughs> she'd see me like conked out on my bed, um, and she'd say, "It's okay. The disciples fell asleep." Um, <laughs> She's like, God knows that your spirit is willing. Your flesh is weak, though. And so, and so even though there was a lot of hard things with my mom, like, she did teach me so much about what the heart of God is. And let me tell you something. One day, I'm reading my little pink Bible, and I get to the Psalms. And I read this one chapter that completely um, changes my view of everything. And I'm going to read it to you because I know you've read the Bible and you've probably read it so many times that your eyes literally glaze over. It's okay. Um, The disciples' eyes probably glazed over. Um, But I'm going to read it to you in a little different translation. This one's from the message. I know it's not like holy inspired, but um, it's just different language, okay? I'm going to read it to you in a new language. And um, and right now, I just, I just kind of want us to relax and just imagine uh, Jesus speaking this over us for the first time. This is David. He was just a regular boy, and he, but he had a heart for God. And I love the Psalms because David is an absolute emotional wreck all the time. But he just keeps getting to Jesus. So whenever I'm like, I have no clue what I'm supposed to read now, I just like, uh, me and David, we know we're in the same boat. <laughs> I'll just go read his prayers and make them mine. And so he says, Psalm 139, 
It says, oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mama's tummy. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking body and soul. I am marvelously made. I'm going to say that to you again because you're a girl and you don't really believe that. (laughs) Because you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I don't know what God was thinking. But I don't look like that picture on the magazine. I don't look like those girls that are really fit. And some of you are really beautiful, and you still don't think you're beautiful. Um, But you know what? That's why we tell each other true things. That's why we get to God's word, because we need to be told over and over again until it's down in our bones. Marvelously made, body and soul. You know me inside out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from absolutely nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life have been spread out before me. All the days of my life are prepared before I even lived one day. This is my favorite part, and this is the part I have to read over and over because this is the part I forget, too, and I don't really believe it. So I have to get to where I believe it again. It says, your thoughts, God, toward me. How rare, how beautiful. God, I can never even comprehend them. I mean, I can't even begin to count them. Like, they are more than all the grains of sand. By the way, I'm... I'm also adding Maggie version, so I hope you don't mind. There are more than all the grains of sand on all the seashores in all the world. That's how constantly you think, not mad thoughts, good thoughts toward me. So um, I forgot to show you my picture. Here I am, seven years old, okay? This was, I was still in the foster home that wasn't safe. Yeah, I didn't know yet that there was a God who knew my name. I didn't know yet um, that there was a Jesus. But God God knew my name. And my birth mom, this is so crazy, she names me Magdalene Ruth. And um, when I got married, my last name is now Paulus. I remember reading the Bible. I'm like, I'm completely biblical. Like, there's a Paulus in the Bible. How cool of God. So, um, now that I'm a little bit older, and I've been walking with Jesus for a little while, um, I still get scared of my life, you know? And I still think, I think now, I'm a grown-up, now I get to make my own decisions, and I should be in charge here, and I should be in control and that literally scares me because I don't really know what I'm doing. And, um, and you know what God says to me? He says, um, Colossians 1.13, For I've rescued you and I've drawn you to myself from the dominion of darkness, and I have transferred you into the kingdom of the Son that I love. And when I hear that verse, I literally think of how Jesus, God scooped me up out of a life of darkness and, and addiction and hopelessness, and here he puts me in a kingdom of light, and hope, and joy, and peace, and I think, and God says, Maggie, okay, I know you're a grown-up, 
But you know how when you were little and you didn't know, you weren't in charge of where you were going. Um, you didn't get to make those choices. But Maggie, I'm still the same God that's sovereign over your life. I'm still able to scoop you up out of dark places. And I'm still able to hold you here in this kingdom of light. So um, God did that for me. He, he gave me, he showed me who my true identity is in Christ. I'm a daughter of light. Uh, I'm not someone who is lost anymore. Um, I'm going all over the place. I'm not even following my lo- notes, but. Okay, so here I am. I'm walking to Jesus, and I'm around 14 now. This is where I'm going to pause for a minute in my story. Around 14, I had been learning that God was really big. I'd read the Bible. Uh, I learned that he did really crazy things. Like one time, these people were going to, they're running from bad guys called the Egyptians. And they get to this big sea, and like literally, they have nowhere to go. And what God does is he parts the sea and he makes the walls of he makes the water like walls. And not only do they get to to go run through the very middle of the sea away from their enemies, but the sand isn't even wet. Like that was just like an extra miracle just for fun. And they're running across on dry land and then God closes up the sea and he drowns their enemies. And so I'm like, "Wow, God does like crazy things." And so one night I'm babysitting for my nephew and niece, and they're gone to bed, and I'm up late, and um, I was bored, and so I get this novel off the bookshelf, and I start reading it, and um, I had no business reading it, but it was like one of those just trashy novels, honestly, but what it what happened was it started describing um, some uh, an assault on a girl, and you know how triggers are. I didn't know what that was called back then, a trigger. But suddenly, I literally, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I am curled up basically in a fetal position on the couch. Because I have these memories. When I was in foster homes and before I was adopted, bad things happened. There was abuse that happened. And um, because bad guys, they can live in foster homes or in neighborhoods, and they can do bad things to people, little people, when nobody else is around. And that had happened to me, and so, but I knew God now, and, um, but I was really confused. I was really confused because I had learned that God is good. I had learned that God is really powerful and really big, really kind. I mean, he sent Jesus. There's no greater love than that. And yet I'm having these memories of really bad things that happened to a little girl who could not do anything about it. And so what I began to do that night is I began to wrestle with God. Did you know that you can wrestle with God? I have this picture of uh, my little girl, Hope, and she's wrestling with her daddy. And this is what I love about daddies. Daddies are big and strong, and if you want, if they want, they could body slam you, you know? 
And when Brent comes home from work, we don't do this in the trailer. It's a little cramped in our trailer. But when we have it, we're in our house in Michigan. Brent would come home from work, and as soon as he walked in the door, our kids run, and they dogpile on him, and they he gets on the floor, and they literally just jump. Even Haven, it's so cute. She's not even two, and she's like, ah! And she just knows, like, oh, you're supposed to jump on Dad. And they get on his head, and they kick him in the face, and then Brent's like, okay, that's not wrestling. We're done with that. And, um... But a good dad, a kind dad, as strong as he is, he will let you win. He will let you express yourself, your strength. And so that night, um, I came up to God, and I asked God, you know how you wrestle with God? You just come to him as you are, as you like really are, not how you're supposed to be with your real questions and your real hard things, and you just ask God your hard questions, and you express what's really down in here. And you didn't know God doesn't get mad at you? He's like a really kind dad. He's like a really kind dad that literally gets on his belly on the floor. That's what Jesus did, okay? God is big and holy and high, And God's like, they need a God who can relate with them. So, Jesus, you go down there. You get on your belly. You get in the dirt with them. And you're going to suffer with them because they need to know that they have a God who relates to them. And so Jesus comes down, and he, it's like now we have this close friendship with God where we can see the color of his eyes. And, um... And so I started asking God my really hard questions. Like, God, you know, if you're so big and you're so good, like, why did you let that happen? You could have done a miracle. And um, and this, and I'm going to tell you what God showed me. And here's the thing. Now I'm going to get up. Um, I can only tell you how I got healed, but I can't get you healed. I can only get you to Jesus. I can tell you about Jesus, but you actually have to do some wrestling yourself. You have to get to Jesus yourself. So here's how I got healed. I told God all my things, and God brought back all these memories I had. And with each memory I had, um, God showed me something. He showed me three things. Number one, that when I cried, guess who was there? Jesus was there, and he cried. He wept. When we are in pain, Jesus is in pain. And, um, and he showed me that, he showed me different places, like drawing li- lines in the sand of my life. Like, I know that evil happened. Here's where I drew a line. And I said, nope, not anymore. I remember being quickly rescued from this one foster home. I was like, whoa, it was a bad one. And all of a sudden, we were, the police were back, and they came and got us. And I was like, whoa, that was weird. They came back fast. And I'm glad they came back fast because that was the worst one. Um, so he showed me over and over. I drew lines, and I did stop the evil. But when you cried, I cried. And you know what else he showed me? He said, um, there's this verse in Romans. And we kind of throw it out there like a cliche when we don't know what to tell someone. But it's a verse that helped me heal. It says, all things, all things, that means like everything, works 
together for good. What? For good? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And God showed me that the very thing that Satan wanted to destroy me, that Satan used to um, exploit me, God was going to take that thing and he exploited it. And he would turn and he turned it so that the very thing that God, that Satan wanted to destroy me, God was going to use it. He healed those memories and that pain. And he said, I waste absolutely nothing. And, uh, and then God gave me this crazy compassion, this like fire in my bones ever since I've been little. Ever since I, I had that moment with Jesus, that now that I am healed and made well and see that God loves me and Jesus is real and he can take the worst things and turn them into something that is useful. And now I go out and I do that for people with Jesus. And um, so, again, here's another picture of Haven. That was back when she was really little. Just this idea of God is not far away from our pain. He's not aloof. He's not standing off. He's like right there on his belly with us. And, um, and I love this picture of Jesus because um, sometimes it feels like we're drowning, right? I mean, maybe you didn't even have a lot of bad things happen to you. You just had like a day with your kids, and it literally feels like you're drowning. And um, there's this Korean artist. I forgot his name. Sorry. Uh, but he keeps painting these amazing pictures of Jesus. And um, he said, I watched the interview of his, and he said, I want to paint Jesus for people, not Old Testament. He's not getting pictures of the Old Testament or the, even the Bible. Like, he wants... He wants to paint Jesus as he is presently with us now. And right now, Jesus is presently reaching into the places where we feel like we're drowning. And he's pulling us out. And here's the verse in a different version. It says, and we know with great confidence. Now, here's the thing. We don't actually know it with great confidence. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bibles. Okay, that's why we spend time with people who have believed the truth. Because we have to keep telling each other until we know it with great confidence, that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God said to me, I'm going to take these memories and I'll heal them, and he did, and then use them as fuel for compassion to reach a hurting world. See, a person who's never been wounded, you can't really comprehend the wounds of another did you know that God wants to heal your wounds too? What will you do with your one wild and precious life? Will you get your wounds to Jesus? Did you know it takes time? And we're all crazy busy. Um, but we have to, we just literally have to pause like every day and tend to our, our souls. Um, okay, so one time I was like, God, that's really great that you did that for me. But uh, how do I help my friends get 
to Jesus, get to you, Jesus. And um, God is always using my kids to teach me things. And I was praying this, and I just, what I do is I ask God things, and he doesn't, like, tell me right away. That would be nice, wouldn't it? If you just, like, dear Maggie, this is what you do. I go outside, and I stand and look at the sky, and there's literally nothing written. And I always hope there's something written up there. And, um, but I just ask him things, and I just keep going. You just keep living. And then God shows you little bits along the way. But one night, um, I, my, my Sam, he was about three, three or four, and he was in his crib. And some kid showed, taught him how to climb out of his crib. I was really mad at that kid. But um, so Sam would get scared of the night, and he'd come in our room. And he always, our kids always want to sleep with us. And I used to do that, honestly, when I was a first a mama and dumb. I would let my children sleep with me because you know, they need, they need to be comforted. And, but what I found out was um, they get to sleep, but you don't sleep. And, one, and I found this out. I drew the line one morning. I woke up, and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I don't, how did I wet my pants? <laughs> I thought I was, I don't know. How did that happen? And I realized I didn't wet my pants. Sam, Sam somehow wet my pants. <laughs> So I said, you know, we're done with co-sleeping, and um, if my children need security in the night, they can come to my room, and you know what I'm going to do for them? Nice little pallet right there on the floor, and I'm going to turn on the box fan really loud so that I don't hear them with their weird noises, and so um, so Sam comes in the night, and he, he's got his blankies and his, and his everything, and uh, I realize he plops it down, and I wake up. I have, I'm a very light sleeper because my husband is not. So that means if a robber comes, I have to protect everybody. And my only plan is screaming, Jesus, like, Jesus. And I figure if I'm more psycho than whatever psycho broke that broke in, they will leave. Also, another thing that comforts me is that my, I want my children to pick up their Legos, but they don't. And so I think, you know what? It's fine. It's like a robber proof room. If someone tries to get my kids, I will, they will get hurt. And I will hear them, and they'll leave. And so um, that's what you do when you don't want a gun. Don't tell anybody we don't want a gun. So since I don't have a gun, I have to think of other things. It, we're not gun. I'm not anti-gun. It's just Brent's afraid of what would happen if I owned a gun. So <laughs> anyways, I didn't mean to tell you any of that. But so Sam comes, and uh, he puts all this stuff on the ground. And I'm like, oh, okay, i got to get up. I'm going to make him a pallet. And all of a sudden, then he leaves. I'm like, that's weird. And it occurs to me, oh, yeah, he doesn't have everything he needs to be okay while he's sleeping. So we go back to his room. This time I get up and go with him, and we're scooping up more teddy bears and more favorite blankies and his pillow. And this time I scoop him up, and we go back to my room, and I make him a nice pallet, and all of his animals are perfectly around him, and he's tucked in. And I get in bed, and all of a sudden I'm like, God's like, hey, that's how you do it. That's how you tell your friends to get their hurts to me. What you do is, what they do, is they go down the dark hallway to the only place they know is safe, which is me, and secure, and they bring their stuff with them. It's a whole armload of stuff. If you're a girl, you've got like 20 things right now that you don't even know you have yet. And um, you bring it to Jesus, and you lay it out there, and you tell him about it, 
And if that's not everything, guess what? You just go back down for another trip. But this time, God goes with you, and he scoops you up, and he brings everything, and you just get to Jesus as many times as you can down that dark hallway until you've got it all out there. And guys, it doesn't always just look like praying. It doesn't always just look like reading your Bible more, okay? Sometimes it looks like you get on the phone and you call a therapist. I have this philosophy in life. It's like if you're a human, at some point you are going to need some therapy. There is no shame in that. I have been through a good amount of counseling, and sometimes I still call my friend, who's basically a therapist. I'm like, eh, I'm drowning again. Can you help me? And so God doesn't mean for us to try to figure it out on our own. That's why he makes therapists and counselors. Um, and so that is a picture for us of what God does. Um, here's what I love, too. Did you know that God is always looking like this? Um, we think he's mad at us all the time. Because you know why? We didn't have our quiet time today. Or we just yelled at the kids. Or we just binge watched Netflix for like hours. We at least could have done a little laundry while we were doing that. Or we were on Facebook for like, oh my word, I meant to get on for five minutes and my children have been yelling at me and I didn't. They're finally like, mother! And I'm like, why? They're like, we've been yelling at you. You are, all, they tell me like, oh, you're always on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing it again. And, um, and we think that God is mad at us all the time. But did you know that at every moment, at every part of your day, God is actually speaking one word over you, and it's this word. It's like, come. And he always has his arms open so that no matter what you just did, you get to come. You don't actually have to wait till you're better to come. You just come to get better. And um, I love the picture of Hope. One time I took this picture of her running in the yard. And it's this beautiful picture to me of running no matter what. Good day, bad day, winning, failing. We get to run to the Jesus who says come constantly to us. And later after I was looking at this picture, um, I noticed there were these rainbows. I don't know if you can see them. There's these rainbows surrounding her. And as I was looking at that later, I felt like the Lord's like, you don't know this. You don't believe this. But when I look at you, there's glory. There's glory around you. And um, I am delighted in you. You are beautiful. I love you. You don't even have to be good. Like, I just love you because I made you. Okay. So as we come to, eat, to God each day, accepting his invitation just to live life with us. Um, you know what begins to happen? We begin to find out what abundant kind of life is. Um, it's not a life where you're rich or famous. Maybe not a life where you don't ever get sick or your neighbors suddenly you like them all of a sudden or your in-laws. Um, it's just a life where 
when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and that you will have it abundantly, it's this quality in here, um, a life that is peaceful, um, where we actually find peace. And it doesn't always look huge and grand, okay? Now, I want to tell you a few stories because I want to give you, uh, I want to inspire you. This is a funny story. Some people think, especially when they hear that we are in a trailer living on parking lots or that my mom and dad adopted me, we automat- they automatically think, oh, God wants me to do something crazy. And um, we get scared. I know I get freaked out. I hear, like, an amazing story. I'm like, shoot, I'm going to have to do that. Like, something I hate. Like, that lady, my friend just went to China. Crap, I'm going to have to go to China. Like, we really think God's mean. He's just waiting, like, what do you hate? Okay, you're doing that. You know, what are you scared of? Yep, you're getting the, get in the car. You're going there. And sometimes God is like that, okay? Sometimes God is like, what are you scared of? Okay, good, we're doing that because I want to show you that you don't actually have anything to be scared of. That's what God did for me. I didn't want to get in a, art, like a semi-truck with all my children and drive over bridges. Do you know how terrifying that is? Like, what if we get stuck in the middle? Every time we go over a bridge, I'm like, dear Jesus, please don't let an earthquake come. Because I don't know which kid I'm going to save. Like, I, they don't, they only one of them swims. I literally have these thoughts. And um, God is comforting me. I am always with you. I am in this cab with you, going down the road with you. I never leave you. And, um, but we think that something God, just living with God, he's going to ask us to do something crazy. In fact, last night I was in the prayer room, not naming any names. I'm sitting in there in the prayer room, and every night I've had the privilege of praying for you guys. And um, me and Patty, Brent have been in there, and uh, I'm sitting there praying, and this lady, this beautiful woman comes in. She's very earnest. She comes up to me, and she's like staring. Sorry, Hannah, but I have to prove a point. She's like looking very earnestly at me, and I think, is she from the nursery? Like, does she, is my baby crying? And I say to her, oh, are you from the nursery? Like, do I need to go get my baby? And she's like, no, I came in here for prayer. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah, we are in the prayer room. That's what we're doing. And so she sits down, and I'm like, what, what do you need? And she's like, I just, people keep talking about fostering kids. And I have this thought, like, what am I supposed to, am I supposed to be fostering kids? I don't even want to do that. That scares me. But what if I'm supposed to do that? Like, how do I know? How do I know what God wants me to do? Is that my thought or is that God's thought? And so we calm down. We just... Text and talents, calm down, let's breathe, okay? Um, we prayed through it, and the thing is, sometimes it is big like that, but you know what mostly it is? It's just like, love this kid that you already have. Um, love that neighbor that you don't really like, and their kids keep coming to your yard. And um, so I have a few examples for you of what that looks like. Um, and this was some more comfort for this lady. I thought about Jonah. You know, God asked him to do a really big, crazy thing, go to Nineveh. And he didn't even, he wasn't even being soft to God. Like, here she was being soft to God. Like, if you want me to, just, I just got to make it obvious. He wasn't even being soft to God. He was like, no, that is the stupidest thing. 
I don't even like those people. And he, like, I just think about how he went to uh, the ship place where the ships are. And he's like, do you have a, a boat that's going to not Nineveh? Because I'm going to go to that place. And I can just imagine, like, he's literally running the other way. And, um, and I can imagine the people being like, well, there's one that's, like, passing, like, 40 miles outside of the shore of Nineveh. And he's like, no, that's too close. Do you have, like, opposite Nineveh boat? Like, I'll get on that one. And guess what? He still got to Nineveh because God is so big and so creative that um, he got him there. And if we even and if we have tender hearts to God, if we just say, God, what do you want me to do with my one wild and precious life? He's so big and so creative that we won't miss it. Um, but some sometimes we think it looks like great, big, crazy things. But sometimes it just looks like this. Um, I'm learning everywhere I go to uh, to just look people in the eye and um, give them their dignity and ask them how they're doing. It's like at Walmart, the grocery store. Um, you just literally, you just take Jesus with you. We think the Great Commission is this big, like, go you, therefore, into the world. And did you know the actual translation is just like, as you're going, like, where are you going? You're not going to China today, but you might be going to Goodwill. So if you're going to Goodwill, you take me with you. And uh, one day we were going to Goodwill because Sam needed some more Crocs. And um, so we walk in, and I told you guys I love talking to strangers, much to my family's dismay. So we get up to the checkout line, and there's a guy named Zach and uh, I got, we found some Crocs, that was kind of God, just exactly Sam's size. And Zach has bright red hair, freckles, and bling, like a ton of bling. Like, I didn't even know, like, red-headed white guys liked bling. But this guy loved his bling, and I was, and I started a conversation with him, and Brent's like, oh, great, here we go. So he takes the kids out to the van, and he knows I'm probably going to be in there in a minute. And I say to Zach, I'm like, Zach. Did you, and I asked him about his tattoos. Did you know tattoos are like really great ways to talk to people about what, what they really care about? Some people just get drunk and ta get tattoos, but some people, like, they think for a long time about what they want to put on their body. So I, I saw that Zach had a, a little um, cross tattooed on his, his hand, and he had all these cross necklaces. And I'm like, Zach, what does all this mean, like the, the crosses mean? And he was like, well, I used to be, I used to be religious, and not anymore. And God was like, that means he's been hurt. He used to believe in God, but he got hurt. And he didn't understand what that pain was about. And so he walked away. Um, and then I noticed he had this, like, teardrop tattooed right here. And I said, Zach, what do you, um, what's that tear mean? He said, well, my mom left me a lot, a lot of times. And I would sit on the couch waiting for my mom to come back. And she never came back. One time she came back when I was 12, and then she left again. And so that's just, that's all the tears I've cried for my mom who left me. I mean, this guy is like 20 years old, you know. And so, um, and when I'm with people, just ask him quietly, what do you want me to say? Is there anything I'm supposed to do? So I feel this rising up in my chest, and I'm like, and people are waiting, so I can't have, like, a therapy session right here with Zach. 
So I'm like walking out, and I said, um, Zach, I'm a mom. And I just, as a mom, I just want you to know that you are loved. And he's like, oh, thanks. You know, he's not like not wanting to look at me. And, I, and I'm like having to leave, and I'm like, and I'm getting brave because I'm leaving. And so I'm like, and also I want you to know that God loves you. And Jesus, and God has a really good plan for your life. And he's like, thank you. And I get out to the car. We're driving down the road. And you know what I did? I forgot the Crocs. <laughs> so Brent had to have a chat with me. He's like, Maggie, I love that you talk to people. But can, next time, can you also buy the things and talk to people? I'm going to tell you one more story, and then my team is going to come sing for you. But um, this also looks like, what does God ask us to do? Sometimes we get so confused. What am I supposed to do? Okay, two things. He's really, really basic with us. Love God with everything you got, and you're going to fail 100 times a day. That's okay. Disciples fell asleep. You just get back up. You love God with everything you got, and then you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And um, this last summer, well, it was, it was like six months ago, uh, my dad got, he, over the last few years, several years, he developed a lung disease. And so we're traveling through Arkansas last year, not stop, I mean, we're not staying in Arkansas. We're literally, we're going to a different state in our big old RV. We're stopping in Arkansas for the night, which is three hours from where my mom and dad live. And my mom calls me and she says, uh, Maggie, the hospice nurse is here. And she says to me, Maggie, she says, uh, if your daughter wants to see, if your kids want to see their dad alive and breathing, they might want to come soon. I don't know. He might have a few weeks. He might have a few days. So we pray about it. And Greg and Patty are really gracious. They're like, of course, go see your dad. So we drive up to this um, RV park in Arkansas. And uh, we never stayed at an RV park because our trailer is so long, you can't fit this in anywhere. And um, we drive up, and we look hilarious. We feel like famous people because everybody comes out of their trailers. They're all, like, retired people. They're like, whoa. And we're like, yeah, we're famous. And, um, <laughs> and they all want to meet us. And, um, and so we park next to the funniest thing. We park next to probably the smallest trailer in the park. So we look ridiculous. It's like Gigantor and, like, Midget friends and um but what I get to do is I get to go just be with my dad and listen to him breathe and all he can do now is breathe and he goes so peacefully to Jesus and he shows us what it's like uh to suffer and to go peacefully and um but while we're at this RV park I've got neighbors right and Jesus says love your neighbors so I want to find out who these neighbors are. So I'm asking God. We got some neighbors this week, and um, I found out their names are uh, Gary and Ruthie. Immediately I like them because they look like hippies, and I'm, I'm trying to look like a hippie. So um, I connect with them, and what I find out is um, they lived in California, but her parents are aging, and um, so they bought this tiny little tin can, and they take it, and they park it on her parents' driveway, and they're going to live there, and they're going to go in the house every day, and they're going to check on her dad and her mom, make sure they're doing okay. But what happens is her dad is turned mean. He's like the meanest guy. So she goes into the house every day, and she's just trying to take care of him and show him that she loves him. And he's like, 
you blankety, blankety, blank, blank. Like he's cussing her out every day. And she tells Gary, she's like, okay, we still need to take care of my parents, but I can't live on their driveway. This is like killing my heart. So they go find this RV park. That's how we got to be their neighbor. And so she just drives over there every day. And I'm asking God, like, what do you want me to do for Ruthie? And um, I find out that she's a believer. And um, I just have this idea. Why don't you get a little book? I had been to the Target bin where they had these little cool books with blank pages in them. And um, God was like, why don't you write out who she really is? Find out what I call her and write it on each page. And I made, and drew little pictures, you know. They were terrible art, but. Um, and I just, God was like, just, I want to name her. Because her dad's calling her mad, bad names. And she knows that's not her, but she's forgetting who she is. And so I wrote out, beloved, cherished, daughter, free, pure, and uh, me and Hopi, we took it over to Ruthie one day. We're like, I just want to give you this. And I know your daddy's been calling you some mean names. And God just, he loves you, and he wants you to know who you really are. And she started looking through that book and just tears, like, going down through her eyes, like, thank you. Cherished, oh, yeah, thank you. Daughter, oh, thank you. Yes, and God just reminded her again. So, um... I end on those stories of just, this is how we do it in everyday normal life. Um, but at the last, I just ask us again, oh, tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life?